For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Dun, dun, dun. It's going to be one of those days. Put your thinking cap on, because I'm over here. Lou is over there. Hey there. And we are here to tell you that with God being a philosophizer, isn't that complicated? Hmm. Do you get that joke? <laughs> no, I don't. Think oh, I do. that is from Zoolander. Oh, yes. Okay, okay. <laughs> I've, I've seen that movie, but it's it, been a long yes, time. Ben Stiller and Owen Wilson pretending to be idiotic male models. Remember, he wants yeah, to open the, right. the, I can't remember the name of it, the Zoolander school for kids who don't read good. <laughs> <laughs> Philosophizers are... Oh, man, that's funny. Now, I, now, now that I've said that out loud, I can't remember if that's Ben Stiller and Zoolander or if that's Ben Stiller and Dodgeball who says that. Oh, I don't know. I've watched I can both. just picture Ben Stiller looking at the camera going, so now you're a philosophizer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now you're a philosopher. Oh, so either so way, funny. it's a Ben Stiller movie and it's hysterical, although I'm not recommending it because I don't remember how bad they might have been. <laughs> right. I don't either. I know Dodgeball had some interesting quirks at the end, <laughs> although I'm not getting over It's on ESPN 8, the Ocho. Because there was a stretch when ESPN had about 27 channels. Oh. Remember, it was ESPN, and then like ESPN 2 came about. Right, And then right. they had ESPN 3, and then ESPN News, and then they had ESPN U, and that was the joke. And they're like, we've got Dodge. And if you ever watch ESPN 3 in the middle of like a Sunday afternoon, they had like competitive rock climbing on with like eight people in the crowd. And, oh yeah, real. Yeah, and it's like like at, at two. Lighter, a, join huh? us at two a.m. for the double Dutch, you know, competitive action league. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> and there, I mean, there aren't enough sports to put on that many networks, and that's why they're all online now. So you can just find anything you want on the internet. Oh, so man. watch the internet; it'll do you good. No, 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 don't watch the internet; it will not do you good. <laughs> for sure. So what are we talking about today? Well, we are going to have some fun. Um, we have. We have delved the depths of theology. Sometimes we've done it really well. Sometimes we've done it really poorly. Uh-huh. Well, we've always done it entertainingly. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Right, for sure. So today, though, we are going to tackle a little bit of human understanding and philosophy. And, and I'm serious about that. We, we are going to, we're going to put our big boy brains on, and we are going to think and I will be tempting, it'll be tempting to try to, well, let's do this with an English accent, because that makes us sound like we're more astute and austere and our so thinking. you're a philosophizer. Yes. yes. I almost wore an ascot, you know, just to you know, make it look a little more pretentious. Yeah. So that, that's the goal today. We are going to be pretentious. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> as, as much as we are capable of being pretentious. So before we do that, though, in all our pretentiousness, we need to do, I need a sound button for that, you know, like we need our word of the day. Mm-hmm. Like a while back it was a shoe. Today's word of the day is pretentious, and every time we say we should hit a button. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Annoy everyone, as if they're not annoyed already. Well, we got to entertain, don't Exactly. We? <clears throat> we are here for you, the people. The people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, we are in 1 Corinthians 2. We want to set the stage for Christian, not just what you think, but how you think. So I just read a little bit of an intro into the thing we really want to dive into, which is starting in verse 14. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. All right, stop for a second. This is going to sound really 
silly to have to explain, but in your pagan mind, so Christian, before you were Christian, the way that you thought didn't make sense to the Christian. And likewise, the way you think now as a Christian does not make sense to the pagan, and the way the pagan thinks does not make sense to you. You have different motivations because you have different goals in life because you are different in this world. You have a different orientation, one that has been moved away from self and towards God. That does not happen by nature. That happens in redemption. So, So when you are explaining how the world should work to your pagan friends, while there is a common grace that enables them to see how things might work well, they cannot accept the premise from which you are arguing from because they cannot accept that it starts with God because they themselves do not start with God. You with me so far? Yes. So the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Spiritually understood, spirit, spiritually thought through. Pick your word, I don't care which one you would like to use. They, ha- they are incapable of examining the deep things of God from a Christian perspective because they are not. So, let's give a real-world example of this. All right. <clears throat> Bart Ehrman. Okay. Ehrman, Ehrman, I'm never quite sure. I like error. You like, you like Ehrman? Yeah, because he's an error. <laughs> Bart Ehrman. <laughs> I am Ehrman. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Ehrman. Now, brilliant guy. Yes. He... Linguist. Oh, yeah. Uh, textual critic. Mm-hmm. You know, reads eight languages that don't exist anymore. And I'm not even kidding. <laughs> right. I mean, just one of those dudes. You know, giant pulsating brain. Can't understand the gospel. Oh, because he's, he's a pagan. He's fallen away from it. He now, was a fundamentalist, but... Well, claims to be. He, yeah, right. Can he read Scripture and explain to you the message of Scripture? I mean, I think the answer to that is yes. At, well, at, 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 a, at a very face at a, level, I mean, right? Can or the, surface level. I think another example of this would be Christopher Hitchens. Christopher Hitchens on numerous occasions would flat out tell you the message of the Bible is a message of Christ saving his people. Does he believe that? Probably not. No. But (laughs) does he understand through his study that that's the message of Scripture? Yes. Does Bart Ehrman, is Bart Ehrman capable of the same rationalization? Well, he's he's able to read and and take it, it, you know, contextually. He understands... Mm -hmm. He understands it, but he doesn't. He now, no longer believes it. Now he rejects the truth of that. Right. He doesn't believe it to be a true record. Mm-hmm. He doesn't believe it to be an accurate representation of early church theology. But he can recognize that the Bible, as we have it today, is a is a book that is proclaiming salvation in Christ. Right. He just does not believe in that salvation, and he does not believe that Christ is who Scripture claims him to be, because he believes that Scripture has been corrupted and that there were other understandings of Jesus and the whole nine yards. He was looking for an excuse, and he used his intellect and his training as a linguist to find it. Sure he did. So when we talk about understanding Scripture, we don't mean, well, the Gospel of John is written to prove to you that Jesus is God. Any nitwit who can read and understand above a fourth grade level can read John and figure that out. Mm -hmm. What we're talking about is being able to 
appraise, examine, and understand the truth of Scripture in a manner that changes who you are and how you live. You are only capable of that, not because of your big brain, not because of your wonderful reading comprehension, but because of the active transformational work of the Holy Spirit in your life. The natural man, the pagan, does not have this. Therefore, he cannot start with Scripture or God as his baseline premise. He has to start somewhere else because he can't help himself. He is incapable of appraising from a godly perspective. Now, in contrast, he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. Why can you look at the world, Christian, and go, this place is going to hell in a handbasket? <laughs> how- yeah, but how come the rest of the pagans don't understand that? Right, because they don't have the spiritual eyes that we do. Therefore, they're not able to appraise. They're not able to understand. They're going to they're gonna function in insanity. We're going to do the same thing the same way over again, and we're going to hope it comes out differently this time. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Why? Because you have the work of the Holy Spirit. You have peace with God. You have transformation of heart, mind, and soul. You therefore have a renewing of the mind. You therefore have the ability to look at things with spiritually new eyes. Spiritually a new mind. So when you evaluate, you can take into account the things of this world the way that they are. Now, what is one of our baseline premises for understanding the world? Where must we start? With God. Can't start with us. If we start with us, there be dragons. No good comes from that. Now, Christian, would you like to understand better the world around you? And the reason why these pagans be pagan in the way that they pagan. <laughs> they can't help it. I think, we ju- I think I just used the word pagan as a noun, a verb, and an adjective. You're creative. I'm, I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's my cross to bear. It is my gift to the world. <laughs> You're welcome, world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get a small picture into the insanity that is my mind. But anyway. Realize that in everything, they start with them. Their kids exist for them. Their job exists for them. Their money exists for them. Their time exists for them. And when things do not exist to serve and help them, they get annoyed, they get angry, and they lash out. Sure. You do the same thing until you remember that the world does not exist for you and that you have not been placed here. For you. In other words, you do the same thing when you revel in your sin. But when you remember Christ, we do what? We repent, turn from that, and walk anew. This is what the world is not capable of doing because you are capable of doing this because you started with God. I think think this also demonstrates the power of God to keep people in the dark that do not recognize Him as God and, and, and refuse to. What would seemingly be so obvious, but again, this is biblical history. I mean, mm-hmm. go back to the call of Isaiah. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite go-backs for this, because people read Romans and they start freaking out, you know, about sovereignty and God doing this. I'm like, 
Isaiah was told in his commission. We go, we people panic about this, but right after the here I here am I Lord send me, yes, go to a people. They will not understand. Yeah. They will not see, they will not understand. They will be stubborn and obstinate. Right. That's why when Jesus says, rightly did Isaiah prophesy about you, right. you know, seeing you don't see and, and hearing you don't hear. Yes. That's been true from the beginning. Yeah. God's not obligated to open your heart and mind. You remember when we went through the book of Job in our Bible study, one of the passages that stuck out to me, and I just looked it up again, uh, because this, this makes a lot of sense. It's in chapter 12, verses 25. It says, they grope around in darkness with no light, and he makes them to wander about like drunken, like a drunken man. It, it, it you know, they God is now, he's doing this. Now, again, this now part of this is what do I have to do to get you to sin? Nothing. I Nothing. Mean, I just have to leave you to your own devices. What I'm trying to get across to people, and because I, I agree completely with what you're saying, what I'm trying to get across is they can't help it. Right. They can't help it. Right. Just like you didn't save you, right. they can't save you, which is again why Christian. What's the means of salvation? The proclamation of Christ and him crucified. That message, that weapon that you wield is the only thing that changes hearts and minds. Because anything else doesn't matter. You ready for the big words? Doesn't matter how erudite it may be or how in love with the smell of its own flatulence it might be. <laughs> That's a visual right there. Isn't it though? Yeah. Do you like that? Do you like the wafting hand motion yeah, that goes with it? Yeah, wafting it in there, yeah. <laughs> Ah, it's a <laughs> lovely bouquet. <laughs> no matter how self-serving or high and mighty they may sound, at the end of the day, it's pagan. Right. You know, you know what's interesting? Because I'd never heard of this person that we're going to talk about. I, I looked up this person and found an interview with him on somebody from CNN, I think it was. <laughs> um, and he recognizes the, the state of man uh, mm -hmm. as being depraved. And it's innate. And, and we can't help it and that we need something in our societies to help us uh, train that out of us because we're naturally propensity. I guarantee you for him that something is not God. Right, exactly. No, I, I know. After we read this article <laughs> to the folks, they're going to see that too. But this guy is, he sees something, and it brings us back to something you said triggered that. But you, you said about Paul in, in, in the first four chapters of Paul. I mean, he just lays the gospel out, and he lays out the fact that, that, that we're sinners, and we know that we're sinners, and there are people who sin, they like to sin, and then they promote it to others to sin. Yeah. These, these people are wicked. Yeah, Romans 1 through 4. Yeah. yeah this, this, is, this is the brokenness. You can see that there is a problem, but you don't recognize what the problem is. And if you don't know what the problem is, how, pray tell, do you fix it? They can't. They're groping around in the dark, like Job said. And it's because God has not opened their eyes you, to see or given them ears to hear what the gospel is saying. If you want a New Testament example, you blind guides. Mm -hmm. When a blind man leads another blind man, what happens? They both fall in. They fall into a pit. Now right. what are you going to do? Big trouble, right? Right. This is the problem of the world. It's not that they're not trying hard enough. It's not that they just haven't got the right philosophy. It's not that they just haven't seen clearly. They can't. They flat out can't. Right. Unless the heart and mind is changed. Now, this matters because when you argue and when you attempt to bring all of these thoughts captive to Christ, you cannot do it from their premise. You have to go after the foundation that they are bringing, the 
thought process, not the thoughts, but the thought process that undergirds the argument that is being made. I think Paul starts off with that in the passage that we're reading in Corinthians. Yeah, I didn't come to you with wisdom. No. Of speech, you know, or... And I always I always love this. I, I always bring this up. I probably... I know I've mentioned this numerous times on a Sunday morning and in Sunday school. I don't know if I've ever mentioned it here, but it's, it's worth repeating. You want to double-check me? Go ahead. Go back. Paul shows up in Corinth. Do you remember what chapter of Acts Paul shows up in Corinth? Uh, no, I don't. I know we... I, now, that I, now that I ask you that question, I know we have done this before. Mm-hmm. This is one of those historical things that we forget easily, and I forget it until I get into Corinthians and I'm reminded of it. Okay. Chapter 18. 18, okay. Acts 18, Paul limps into Corinth. Where was Paul in Acts 17? Oh, I don't remember. I'm sorry. The Areopagus. Okay. He's up on Mars Hill providing that great explanation of the of the of God of God behind this, the the idol. Remember right. they've the got unknown. the altar to the unknown God yes. because they recognize that even as they're groping in the darkness, there's something else out there. Yeah, they recognize that, for they sure. They recognize that about themselves, but they don't know what it is. And Paul gets up and starting with creation and how he has put it into your hearts and minds and all that he is, and while he does not need you, he is still blessed, and all of these things. Mm-hmm. That great sermon in Acts 17. And at the end of that, they're all sitting there, you know, stroking their beards, going, mm. this is this is very interesting. Yeah. Would, would you come back tomorrow and talk about this again? And Paul, you know, Paul's going to be looking at him like, are you, are you serious with this? Are you people kidding me right now? Do you, do you, you need the R.C. Sproul moment. What is wrong with you people? Yeah, what is wrong with you people? <laughs> yeah. uh, that, you know, again, my, my favorite secondhand story mm-hmm. is John MacArthur talking about having a meeting about evangelicals and Catholics together mm-hmm. with he and R.C. Sproul and I think D. James Kennedy. Okay. And they're meeting with Chuck Colson and some other guys about moving from evangelicalism to cooperation with Catholicism. And it's he, and John MacArthur talks about it being like a six, eight-hour meeting. And they're sitting there across his table trying to explain how the, the evangelical church and the Catholic church has a different gospel. And he goes, at one point, R.C. Sproul is literally on the table, and he's got Chuck Colson by, like, the jacket lapels. Like, don't you understand we're talking about your soul? <laughs> and wow. I can so see R.C. Sproul doing that. Yes, he was animated sometimes. <laughs> I mean, th- that, that's got to be Even Paul. when he was not feeling well towards oh, the yeah. end, he, was, he would not pull oh, any yeah. punches. I really liked him. But I can see him. Paul, like, what, like, don't you people understand what I just told you? Right. And the answer is nope. no. No, they don't. Not even a bit. And that's why when he limps into Corinth, that's why he can tell the Corinthians, I determined to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified. Right. Where is it that he says, I don't care if I'm impressive in speech? That's to the Corinthians. It doesn't matter if Apollos spoke to you or Peter spoke to you or if I spoke to you. Right. That's to the Corinthians. All these understandings about the church working together, that's Corinthians. Right. Because Paul's recognizing, look, apart from the Holy Spirit, I am useless. And he literally just got an object lesson in that, mm-hmm. standing in Athens. Right, with right. the smart set, as they all sat there and swirled their brandy and looked at him, and go, oh, mm-hmm. This is interesting. This chap has interesting ideas. We need to have him speak some more. And Paul's like, never mind. You people are hopeless. So he showed up in Corinth, and he's like, I'm not going to convince you of anything. Right. I'm going to proclaim Christ, let the Holy Spirit whoop your butt, and then when you repent, we'll figure this out together. That's, that's where he was. Christian, that's instructive. And let's dive in, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. 
There is no God in Jonah Goldberg's new book, Suicide of the West, How the Rebirth of Tribalism, Populism, Nationalism, and Identity Politics is Destroying American Democracy. Why are subtitles so long now? I don't know. They're trying to convey something very, very deep, though. I mean... <laughs> I, I get I that, that but I mean, cheek, like, the but... book is called Suicide of the West. Right. Shouldn't that just be, like, a really cool cover with, like, an explosion in the background or something? Maybe. But I mean, instead, it's literally, like, Suicide of the West, and then, like, in little tiny print, how the rebirth of tribalism, populism, nationalism, and identity politics is destroying American democracy. I mean, that's, that's like an introduction, not a subtitle. Why do they all do this? I don't know. It's the style of writing right now, and... and it's frustrating. It is. Indeed. Give me a give me a pithy, interesting title, and if I'm interested, I will read the jacket. Right. And if the premise interests me from the jacket, then I will get the book. Otherwise, be gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're trying to sink that hook in. Okay. You. So here's the godless suicide of the West. But the book, nonetheless, revolves around a miracle. The Miracle is the shorthand Goldberg, a best-selling author, syndicated columnist, senior editor at National Review, and a fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, uses to describe... Can you put that out on a business card? Man, I don't know, but they're doing it again. It's like they're repeat. It's like a parallelism in the first chapter of this thing. It's an appeal to authority like crazy, isn't yeah, it? Is, I know isn't it. National they're Review trying to David, give them credibility. Yeah, isn't National Review David French? I, I don't know. I don't either anymore. I don't know. He uses to describe the escape of our species from the depths of ignorance, poverty, and everyday conflict to the heights of scientific achievement, material abundance, and relative peace. Mm. When was that? I don't know. I'm just curious. Man, I... I like, I, was that like 12 minutes in 1993 or something? No, wait, couldn't have been because we weren't we blowing up stuff in Kosovo in 93? I don't think there's ever been a time in our, in our history where that's been true, I don't think. Or was think. that Somalia in 93? We try to we try to imagine the Clinton Relative years were really peace. peaceful, weren't they? We were like in Kosovo, and then we were in Somalia, and then weren't we other places during the nineties? We're 90s? never not in somebody else's business, disrupting the world and and the authorities. It just it just I mean, hit me. We're just nothing but troublemakers here in the I'm West. I'm telling I think. you, I'm, this, that, that that just hit me. I'm like, man, we are always like bombing something. Yeah, go right. team, right? Go team. <laughs> Yeah, and we think of ourselves as uh, Big Brother. (laughs) Now, to appreciate Goldberg's miracle, consider the following. This is where it's going to get good. You ready? Homo sapiens are between 200,000 and 300,000 years old. Yet the modern world, with all the conveniences that we take for granted, I wrote this article sitting on a plane 8 kilometers above the ground using an internet connection provided by a satellite orbiting 37 kilometers above the surface of the Earth. Wow, I'm impressed. So for for, so far. for all of you ugly Americans, what is that? It means he's five miles off the ground. Right. And he's what, seven and a half? The satellite's seven and a half miles? No, no, 70 miles above the ground. My brain doesn't want to work. I can't do the conversion suddenly. Yeah. No, five. So I would say uh, orbiting 37,000 kilometers. Uh, My brain does not want to do that because it's five eighths. I don't know. Oh no! Wait, wait, wait. So yeah, eight would eight times four would be thirty-two. So that would be five. Would be it'd be twenty. Again, my brain just stopped. Twenty-four, twenty-five thousand miles. It's way up there. Yeah, that's where satellites are. That makes sense. As that twenty-five miles didn't sound right. Okay, so the satellites are blah, 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 blah. our modern world is merely two hundred and fifty years old. Put differently, for the first ninety-nine point nine percent of our time on Earth, progress was painfully slow. Then everything suddenly changed. Why? That's the question that Goldberg strives to answer. Every time they say Goldberg without a name, I only picture the wrestler. Mm, no, <laughs> that's funny. Like, 
<laughs> now I'm doing it. Bald guy in black, you know, speedo spearing people, you know, right. tackling them to the ground. Right, he's a beast. He was a football player for a while. I yeah, think. Can we have that in politics? Is that allowed? Oh, that'd be so epic. Remember the remember the um, the office linebacker commercials? Yes. What well, well, with Terry Crews? Can we can we have that in politics? Are those the ones where? Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, like right. the dudes at the copier and it jams and he spears him. Yes, I love that. Yeah, that's that's what first came to my mind because it was part of a Super Bowl <laughs> yeah. commercial. Yeah, the uh, office theme. linebacker. We need that in politics. Every time one of the pol- every time one of the presidential candidates says something stupid or lies during the debate. Like Terry Crews just gets to bum rush him from the side of the stage and tackle him. Hmm. There's no be, downside. That'd be so epic. What's the worst thing that happens? Somebody breaks the hip and we got to get somebody else. Like we could do worse. <laughs> I was sort of thinking you take him out the first try. Yeah, I, 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 I see no downside. Yeah, we, I, we need a petition. Can we put that we, on change.org? Yeah, we, we should. Probably. We want Terry, Terry Crews to spear people during presidential debates. Yes, I bet you we get signatures. <laughs> I bet Terry Crews would do it. I'd love to see it. I could see it. That guy was awesome. All right. Humans were not designed to live in the market order of contracts, money, or impersonal rules. Never mind huge societies governed by a centralized state. We were designed to live in bands, or what most people think of as tribes. The human brain is designed so that we can manage stable social relationships with roughly 150 people. We were designed by evolution to be a part of a group, but that group was very limited in size. These groups took on a a variety of structures, but the basic anatomy was generally the same. There was a big man or some other form of chieftain or... Alpha. In the most basic sense, these bands were socialist or communist and that resources were generally shared, but the generic programming clearly emphasized us over me. We still hold on to that programming, and it rubs up against modernity constantly. Do you see what they did there, though? They're, as, they're, they're attributing intelligent design to something that is random. Well, I'll give you the historical argument. Okay. And then I will give you the biblical one first, or second. You ready? All right. All right. Historically speaking, Written history begins roughly, roughly four to 5,000 years ago in the, um, in the area of that we call Sumer. So the bottom right-hand corner of the Fertile Crescent of Mesopotamia. So if you're looking at a map where the Tigris and Euphrates rivers drain into the, um, my brain just stopped on the body of water. Tigris, Euphrates. Uh... They, they drain into the Persian Gulf, don't they? Yeah. It must be. I, okay, if not, sue me later. But where the Tigris and Euphrates drain in modern-day Iraq, they move up to the north and to the west, up towards the mountains of um, ancient Anatolia, modern-day Turkey. You can follow that middle area and the fertile grounds beyond that area all the way from that large body of water, whose name we can't think of, all the way up through that northern area and then stretching off towards southeastern Turkey and then terminating in what would be basically modern-day, northeastern modern-day Syria. This is where Ur was located. This is where the origination of, of Sumer, Sumerian culture and Sumer would have been located. This is where later on Babylon, um, Nineveh would Nineveh, be in the right, northern right. end of this. That's the beginning of recorded civilization as far as human interactions, okay? That begins around four to 5,000 years ago, give or take. From the beginning, there's a city. There are cities. Right. There is governmental structure. There right. is worship. For as long as we have recorded history, beyond anything beyond that is, is, is a guess, we have societal structure that is larger than the village. 
larger than the small family and is actually quite metropolitan. I mean, quite metropolitan. Yeah, it doesn't add up. Now, why would that be? Because it's not an evolutionary accounting that gets us there. It's a humanity created by God with a brain, gifted with language, scattered throughout the area after the Tower of Babel. Yeah, I was going to mention that. Humanity, by its nature, recognizing that nature doesn't like you, that the world is a difficult place to live in, and that cooperation is necessary. Right. That's, that's why there are almost no societies in human history that don't have some sort of agrarian base. Yes, there's an outlier here and there. But how would we have gotten from two to 300,000 years ago to 4,000 years ago without having an agrarian base? Because it's amazing that it's also about that four to 5,000 year ago spot mm-hmm. that we suddenly have large-scale, you know, quote-unquote industrial farming. Right. Which enables large population centers to gather. Right. That's not a coincidence. That's how humanity has always functioned. Well, yeah, this guy believes in the, the hunter-gatherer Agreed. theory. Yeah. But my point is— Before that. The reason, now, the reason he believes in that is because he's got to have a naturalistic explanation because the one thing he can't do is start with God. He really can't explain anything. He is borrowing from other worldviews yes. as far as when I read his, his work and, and the things that come out of his mouth and his ideas about— uh, the, the depravity of man, and, and we're, oh my goodness. I mean, this guy, the intelligent design. Now, now, we, now watch where he goes, because okay. catch where the starting, remember what we talked about earlier with starting points. Based on the above paragraph, readers will be able to deduce the crux of Goldberg's argument. The miracle happened not because of, but in spite of, hundreds of thousands of years of evolution. Our rule-based society where equality before the law takes precedence over the social and economic status of the individual, a staggeringly complex global economy that turns strangers from different continents into instant business partners, and a meritocratic system of social and economic advancement that ignores people's innate features such as race and gender is both very new and extremely fragile. No, it isn't. (laughs) No, it isn't. Yeah. None of the things that he says is true. Nothing. It's not new. Yeah. Metropolitan societies have existed for thousands of years. Yeah. The Assyrians attempted to create metropolitan societies on mm-hmm. purpose. Mm-hmm. They wanted to destroy your distinct culture and make it a metropolitan world. The Romans did it through Hellenization. We don't care what you do. As long as when you interact with us, you do it on these terms. Well, that was, yeah, the Greek. Yeah. The Greek, Hellenization. Yes. That's, that's, that's Greek. That's the, a Greek. The Romans did this and went from Spain mm-hmm. to India, for crying out loud, mm-hmm. and governed all of it under a pretty uniform system. But within that uniform system, there were all sorts of cultures. Egypt, while it was more corrupted at that point by Hellenistic culture, was still distinct from Israel, which was still distinct from India, which was still distinct from North Africa, which was still distinct from Greece, which was still distinct from Spain and Southern mm-hmm. Europe. Yeah. I mean, the, these you could it would almost be like traveling around would be going through a major American city. You're in New York, or you're in Philadelphia, or you're in San Francisco, but you can cross a block and suddenly you're in Chinatown. And the signs are no longer in English. They're in Chinese. And the menus and the ordering, but you can walk in and everybody speaks English. And everybody can interact and you can do business. But there's a subculture. And you can go three more blocks and now you're in Little Italy. 
or you're in the Irish part of town. There, I mean, all of these. Yeah. The Roman world was like that. There were different subcultures existing underneath the technocratic culture that Rome imposed from government fiat. Mm-hmm. This is not new. Us having a homogenous framework by which individual cultures can interact with each other has been going on as long as there's been written history. Yeah. It's not new, and therefore it isn't fragile. It's not. Fra- it's fragile now, not because the system is fragile, but because people are fragile. Why? What's changed? Why could the Romans get away with it, and we can't? Why could the Babylonians get away with it, and we can't? Why could the Assyrians do it, and we can't? My goodness, the Huns pulled it off in Russia. Mm-hmm. Why can't we? And the answer is, what did they all have in common that we don't? A concept of God. Did they? A higher standard. Yeah. The Roman system may have been, you know, jacked up beyond all recognition, but what was their complaint with Christians? Well, they called us atheists. You won't worship the cult. Why was that important? Because that worship is what makes you Roman. I think that's what Constantine used to unite under Christianity. But that that was the argument. That understanding that this is what holds a society together. There's something beyond you. There's a higher thing. This is the same thing that the Mars Hill crowd was understanding. We know there's something. We don't know what it is. Paul tries to tell you what it is and like, hmm. It's interesting. They can't find it. They can't put their finger on it. They know that it's there. That knowledge is yeah. part of common grace. Right. It's part of a glue that helps hold a society together. Now, is it perfect? I'm not arguing that it is by any means. Is it even good? I'm not arguing it is by any means. What would be good would be to recognize the power and authority behind that common grace and submit to him. That comes through the preaching of Christ and him crucified Christian. Right. That's what we've lost in this world. <clears throat> well, I, I, let me just let me just say this. I, I I think that evolutionists are part of a religion. Mm-hmm. I think that Goldberg here is borrowing from our worldview. Yes, and and add, and weaving it into his worldview and trying to unite the people that think like he does. So he's trying to do what we do the naturally. Blind. This because, is the blind squirrel. The blind squirrel right. thought. Right. Yeah, and that's what I'm talking about. That's right. what the Romans did. Right. <clears throat> it's what Alexander tried to do with Hellenization. Right, right. It's, it's, again, what the Sumerians did. It's what the Babylonians did. It's what the Egyptians tried to do. Is There's got to be some sort of peace. There's got to be a higher thing to which we aspire. Yeah. Now, humanity, by nature, wants that higher thing to aspire to. Why? Because we're made we're in the image yeah. of God. Right. And we know this. Imago Dei. Yeah. And because we know this, we are grasping darkly, like again, like the blind man in the dark, like the blind squirrel mm-hmm. trying to figure this out. We're grasping in the darkness trying to find the thing. We can't. Right. The light must shine for our way to be correct. This, I th- you're nailing this. We're actually saying the same thing from two different sides. Okay. All right. Good. <laughs> Goldberg is trying to do this with his argument, and he's trying to point people to a higher thing, to a better thing, to the thing that 
brings us together. Right. Culture has always done that. Culture has always done that, though, with the recognition that there is some power and authority behind the oopsie that got us here. Mm-hmm. He's trying to find the power and the authority while denying there's any being behind it. Right. <coughs> sounds like sounds like Romans one through four. Yeah. Man. Or it's a form of godliness denying its power. Denying its power. Man. This is the issue. In a refreshingly non-relativistic manner, which is one of Goldberg's trademarks, <laughs> he writes, I believe that conceptually we have reached the end of history. We are at the summit. And at this altitude, political left and right lose most of their meaning, because when you are at the top of the mountain, any direction you turn, be it left toward socialism or right toward nationalism, the result is the same. You must go down back whence you came. Man, that's somebody who really thinks he's smart, Mm -hmm. who really thinks that he stands at the pinnacle of everything, that... I'm above your petty political arguments because all they really do are undermine the fruits of civilization. What might those be, Jonah? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, those fruits are the miraculous interwovenness of humanity. What? Yeah. That doesn't even make sense. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. Doesn't compute. So our culture is at its pinnacle because we have expanded the knowledge base from which people are able to draw upon. That's the internet's great accomplishment, mm-hmm. is that you have access to more things than you would have 500 years ago when you had to get on a horse and ride thousands of miles and take three years to get there in order mm-hmm. to read a book in a library you didn't have on hand. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, that was the beauty of the printing press, too, and that's yeah. why the, you know, the that's, gospel was disseminated. You want to understand the big movements, why... Why the Enlightenment happens when it does. Why right. the Romantic period is able to flourish. Why all of these things occur. The printing press does what? It takes knowledge and makes it more accessible. Accessible, yes. The internet then takes knowledge and makes it more accessible. Right. So you see leaps and bounds of both connectivity and productivity because you're able to do more and know more in less time. Yes. That's a pr- Now, I'm not arguing that you're meant to know all 8 billion people on the planet. But what I am arguing is that the parochial mindset that we have reached the pinnacle of history, but at the same time, it's kind of an accident, and what we really need to do is contract our knowledge base. Those are fundamentally uh, opposing ideas. He wants to take, he wants to devolve, he wants to step back, he wants things simpler. It's almost as if he notices that Things around him are changing so rapidly, and he he wants desperately to figure out how to fix this, but there is no fixing this without God. So the argument is, we're not meant to do all of this, therefore, all of your little ideologies are a bad idea. No, the ideologies are coming about because people are being attacked. Why are people being attacked, and why are we at war with one another? Because we're living in a more and more godless society. Now, go back on that blitzkrieg of history that we did. Most of those societies were at war with each other, too. Mm-hmm. Why? Because while they had a form of godliness, they, too, denied its power, which at their core made them basically godless societies. It's interesting. Therefore, they were basically at war. Mm-hmm. And before you give me Catholic Europe of the Middle Ages, Catholic in name only, right. because the Roman Catholic Church that they're following 
was not a religious organization at the time. It was more a political and uh, governmental organization. And most of those monarchies were as well. And you'll notice the biggest wars typically come about after your most pietistic rulers. So you'd get a really pietistic French king who wouldn't go to war at the drop of a hat. And what would happen? Though the people who aren't making money and aren't advancing the social ladder overthrow him or seek to take power themselves. And the next guy comes in and it's, it's whiplash mm-hmm. because at their core, most of these organizations and countries were godless in their, to themselves. Therefore, the brokenness of humanity manifests itself in brokenness in the world. The cure for that is not to return to our hardwiring. It's not to try and think through what the destruction of modern technology has brought. The cure for that is the renewing of hearts and minds by the proclamation of the Gospels that the Holy Spirit can do his job Mm. and change people. What changed the minds of the people at Mars Hill? wasn't Paul's brilliance. No. And Paul's no. a smart guy. Yeah, he was. It wasn't his rhetorical gift, and he was a pretty good speaker. They weren't changed because the Holy Spirit didn't move them. Right. What changed the Corinthians? The, I mean, let's, re- let's realize this. While Athens was the smart set, Corinth was the pagan set. Corinth was the heart of paganism. That'd be like walking into Vegas on steroids. Mm. And yet, what do you see? You see the gospel proclaimed. I determined to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified. And what happens? There's a church. Now, is it a messed up church? Yes. Why? Because they never abandoned their culture. They never abandoned their cultural ties. In other words, they were still trying to live in the world and think about this from a human perspective while sprinkling a little Jesus on it. It doesn't work that way. What does Paul constantly remind them of? Return to the gospel. Mm. Return to his power. Be, in strengthened, be strengthened by his spirit. Walk in his light. All of these things are calls to walk away from that world. Mm-hmm. You can't use the world's methods to answer God's questions. You can't use the world's ideas to explain you because you must start with God. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. Man. So, <laughs> I told you we were going to be a little hoity and toity today. Yeah, yeah. Again, now Christian. Good stuff. Now, now look, practical things. Don't be afraid. This is, this is the smart set. That's the smart set, what we, what we read you. This, this, is the, this is the pinky up, swigging your brandy, you know, idea for humanity and how it's going to work. It's undone in five seconds with a proclamation of the gospel. They're not brilliant. They just think they are. Right. They're not wise. They're only wise in their own eyes. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. Do not fear them. Do not worry about them. Proclaim truth boldly and unashamed because it is what changes them. And then you know what? Then enjoy the work of the Spirit. Yeah, let the chips fall where they may. In your life, in their life, however it may be done, because you will have been found faithful no matter what happens. That's right. So what have we learned here today, children? Mm -hmm. We need to understand God in order to understand us. Without God, our lives are quite idolatrous, and humanity cannot pro- progress without a firm foundation, and that firm foundation is provided for only in God. I'm telling you, this stuff matters, and it makes sense. Yes, it's so good. do not fear them. Trust in Christ. Until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye. Bye.